Hebrews chapter 15, which we studied Wednesday night. Oh, that was a fun chapter. If you weren't here Wednesday night, I encourage you to go home and read through Leviticus 15 on your own. It's very practical, very interesting, and myself am going to try and avoid it in the future. <laughs> yeah, maybe about ten years for back there. The Bible tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God. There is nothing that is written in the Scriptures that is not profitable for teaching, correction, reproof, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. The Bible tells us that the Bible is useful. Every page, every sentence. Now, I'll tell you honestly, when I hit Leviticus 15 last week, I wasn't sure how that exactly was going to work. This is the, this is the chapter on <clears throat> discharges. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But verse 31 of Leviticus 15 tells us, Thus you shall keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness. Why, Lord? So that they will not die in their uncleanness by their defiling my tabernacle that is among them. Father in heaven, we ask for your grace on this study this morning. We ask that you will make your word alive to us. Make it breathe, Father, in us. We might understand what you've called us to. Father, I pray that you will give us the courage to lay down all the things that come between us and you. That we could boldly come before your throne of grace. We have a relationship with you, as Harlan talked about. A relationship with each other that is unfettered by worldly stuff. Help us to drop all that. Come before you this morning and hear from you. Father, teach us. Holy Spirit, be our guide, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Interesting book. You might want to pick up if you're into this kind of thing. It's called None of These Diseases by Macmillan and Stern. And in this book, None of These Diseases, he talks about the Bible's plan for medicine and how it differed so much, especially from a lot of the earlier pagan religions, and how, how great God was at, at human health and hygiene, even when people had no idea that was what was going on. But in this book, there was a quote from a 3,500-year-old papyrus called the Ebers Papyrus. It's a papyrus, apparently, an ancient medical document that gives us medical insight from the day's most advanced civilization. 3,500 years ago was Egypt. Egypt was at the top. The most advanced civilization on Earth. And here is some of Egypt's ideas for cures and medicine. I quote, To cure baldness... I had to look this one up real quick. To cure baldness, doctors applied a mixture of six fats from the horse, the hippo, the crocodile, the cat, the snake, and the wild goat. All that, all that grease, all that grease grew a few hairs. However, it did shine the hairless dome. The Ebers Papyrus lists hundreds of prescriptions for medical ailments, physical ailments. Here are some of the ingredients for some of these prescriptions, if you're interested. Statue dust. That's a good one. Beetle shells. Mouse tails. Cat hair. Pig, some of you with cats, that's, a good, that's good news right there. Just scrape a little up, off you go. Pig eyes. Dog toes. Breast milk. The next one I'm not even going to say, but chapter 15 is all about it. <laughs> Eel eyes and goose guts. 
Yes, doctor, I need to fill this prescription for Eli's and Goose Guts, please. A little ache in my left foot. Eli's and Goose Guts, nasty stuff. And the best one person can say about these medications is at least they were 100% natural. Well, that's about it. How much we have learned, but how much God already explained to his children in this same day, Exodus 15:26. He says, If you will give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, and give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases on you, which I have put on the Egyptians, for I, the Lord, am your healer. You follow this stuff he's telling the Israelites. If you'll just pay close attention, you're going to live longer. You're going to be more healthy. And in fact, they were. It said that the Jewish people were twice as likely to live or live twice as long as their Gentile counterparts in these days simply by following God's prescription in the Bible. The Lord knew what he was doing all along. Man, on the other hand, with his Eli's and goose guts, did not. Proverbs 14, verse 12 tells us there's a way which seems right to a man, but in its end is the way of death. That's man's way. I've heard this before. I wish I had it to quote to you. Austin Portis has on his wall at home a quote about the ideal human government. If you read this quote, it's very impressive, and you would agree with most things in it. You'd read through and go, wow, that's, that's terrific, that's great. He keeps it up on his wall because it's actually a quote by Adolf Hitler. <laughs> I was talking to Kathy about this the other night, and Austin was saying to her the reason he keeps it up there is to remind him that you know you can listen to what humans have to say, you pay attention to the things of man, and see how far it gets you. Compare that, contrast that with the things of God, which is why we open the book. It's why we get into the Bible. It's why we study. God knows what we need. He knows our hearts. Now, what's interesting in these few chapters that we've been in in the book of Leviticus is while the the leprosy law of Leviticus chapter 13 and 14 made huge advances in stopping that once unstoppable disease, Leviticus 15 gives us health and hygiene regulations for shutting down STDs, sexually transmitted diseases. It's a fascinating chapter actually to learn, even though it makes people uncomfortable to read through it, especially to hear their pastor use some of the language in there. It's a, a bit uncomfortable. And there were several times I found myself Wednesday night using this, especially for Mary Lee, because, you know, it makes her discharge. See, she's already losing it right back there. So any time this morning I go like this, look at Mary Lee. You'll get a kick out of it. (laughs) Gang, we should and we could apply some of these political standards to our culture, to our country today, because statistics tell us one out of three people in America over the age of 16 carry a sexually transmitted disease. One out of three. Unbelievable. No way. That can't be, Rick. Well, you know why we think that? Because it's very easy to hide. No one talks about it. When was the last time you walked into church and someone asked for healing from herpes? <laughs> Just want some healing. Why aren't you touching me? What's the problem? <laughs> someone says, I just need deliverance from syphilis. <laughs> we take care of that this morning? You know? Well, let the elders annoy that person. Why is God so concerned about these things? Because the Lord cares about His people. God cares about us, even in the most secret, private ways. When we talked about this Wednesday night, I need to talk a little bit more to all of you 
And my apologies to the Wednesday night Bible students. You're going to hear some things you heard Wednesday night. But I realized as we went through this that there was something that this family, this body, this fellowship needed to be aware of. Needed to hear. Needed to pay attention to. The Lord talks to the Jewish people in a, in a culture of pig eyes and goose guts and wants to help them understand that diseases made them unclean and unclean things can spread. Unclean things, unclean diseases can spread. So if you'll follow these laws, God says, you'll shut it down. You'll stop the spread of disease among you. But there's a worse disease that spreads more rapidly among people and it's the disease of sin. And it's not just sin like leprosy that's obvious, the sin that's out there. Okay, the guy's a drunk, everybody knows he's a drunk, you can see he's a drunk, it's so obvious, you know, when he walks in it's just on his face. Or he's abusive, well it's obvious he's abusive, it comes out, people are aware of it. He has a language problem, well eventually you're going to hear it creep out. But what about those sins that we all deal with that are so secret, so private, nobody has a clue. Nobody has any idea. Like the things talked about in Leviticus 15, private things, personal things, but a picture of how sin can be so secretive, you can go for years, worshiping beside someone in in church, thinking, oh, this person's so spiritual, I wish I was just like them, until you find out there's been an affair going on all the time. Secret things, private things. If God cares about our physical, temporal lives, in matters of human health and hygiene, how much more does he care about spiritual, the matters of holiness? Holiness. You see, holiness to God is getting us out. It's getting us away from the things that would kill us, not just physically, but eternally. Destroying those things, removing those things from our lives that will have an impact on us for eternity. Even things that might be embarrassing to us. We talked about Wednesday night. God wants to bring it out into the light where it can be dealt with. Things we don't want anybody to know. Oh no, if they find out, they're going to think less of me. Well, great. Welcome to the club. We all have lots of stuff that we can think less of ourselves about. God says, let's deal with it. Let's not hide. Let's not pretend. God desires to bring these things to light for the sake of holiness, which is our spiritual wholeness. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 says, This is the message we heard from Him and announced to you, that God is light and in Him there is no darkness at all. What does that mean? Simply that God's very nature is to bring things to light. To deal with things in the light. With honesty and truth and confession. Things that should be dealt with, need to be dealt with gracefully. 1 John chapter 1 verse 6 tells us, If we say we have fellowship with Him, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie. We do not practice the truth. Let me read that again and listen closely to this. If we say we have fellowship with Him, in other words, I'm a Christian... I'm part of the family. Everybody hear that? I'm in. I go to the bridge. That's my deal. If I say that, that's one thing. But if I continue to walk in darkness, I lie. I do not practice the truth. John says if we walk in the light, then he himself is in the light. We have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And the beauty... The beauty of this often avoided chapter in Scripture, Leviticus 14, is it talks about bringing things to light. It reminds us that God wants to deal with even our hidden issues. And not with judgment, but with grace and forgiveness. And we're not real good at that in the church. When things are brought to light, it's difficult for us to mete out grace, even though we all need it, we all want it, we all desire grace. It's not always easy for us to do. 
But again, for the sake of the health of the whole body here at the bridge, I want to talk about a few things this morning having to do with our spiritual health. David said in Psalm 19.12, Who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Psalm 90 verse 8 tells us, You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins, in the light of your presence. Now, Leviticus 15.31, listen again. It's interesting, as you read through this chapter, it's all this health and hygiene stuff. You hit verse 31 and suddenly God makes a left turn. You slam on the brakes and you realize he's not talking just about the physical. He is talking about the spiritual. He says, keep the sons of Israel separated from their uncleanness so that they will not die in their uncleanness, physical, by their defiling my tabernacle, which is among them, spiritual. Spiritual. This wasn't just about physical health. This was about the tabernacle that resided in the middle of Israel among all the people. As they camped out in their places in the wilderness, the tabernacle was right there, right in the middle. And so God's saying, if you want my holy presence here among you, within you, you have got to deal with, you have got to deal with, listen, you've got to deal with your issues. Leviticus 15.32 in the King James Version says, this is the law of him who has an issue. And of him whose seed goeth from him and is defiled. You want to know one of the fastest ways to defile a church body? Bring your issues. Bring your issues. What are your issues? Now I want to challenge you this morning as we look at these things to think personally. What are my issues? What is my burning passion that is so important to me that nothing else matters? This is my issue. This is my thing. This is my deal. This is what I'm concerned about. And is your issue in danger of harming the larger church body rather than helping it? We all have issues. Some of them are acute. Some are obvious or easily dealt with in the open like leprosy. But there are some issues that are chronic and secretive. They defile the, the tabernacle or in our case, the church. Jealousy is an issue. Is there someone here that you're jealous of? Gossip is an issue. Slander, there's an issue for you. How about political positions? Well, my church didn't all vote Republican. Oh no. Issue. Personal ministry passions can become issues. When your ministry is the ministry of the church, it's the only one that matters. Nothing else matters. Just what you're involved with. Issue. Traditions create some of the worst and most divisive issues among Christians. And some people just live for their issues, their agendas, spreading corrupt seed in the body, bleeding all over the church, discharging their personal schemes, tainting the unity of the fellowship of believers because their issue is what matters. Their issue. Listen to a few biblical examples of Christians with issues. Philippians chapter 4 verse 2. Paul says this, and I feel sorry for these two ladies, but he says, I urge Euodia and I urge Syntyche to live in harmony with one another. And for 2,000 years of New Testament history, Euodia and Syntyche are the two women in the Bible known as the ones who could not get along. That's their legacy. These two women who Paul had to write in a letter, and by the way, sisters, knock it off. What are you bickering about? Cut it out. And so we don't hold up Euodia as a picture of sainthood. Syntyche. I want to be a Syntyche. You don't hear songs like that. These two women. 
poor girls. <laughs> Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, a little more seriously, Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Are you in opposition to teaching? Are you not easily taught? Romans 16, verse 17, Paul says, I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you have learned and turn away from them. Man, that sounds a little paranoid, Paul. Does it? Listen to what the Lord says in Proverbs chapter 6. Verses 16 through 19, there are six things which the Lord hates. Can God hate? Yes, He can. And there are six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to Him. Now let me explain this in the Hebrew. What He's doing is He's he's showing that there are six really bad things, but the seventh one, the seventh is the worst. Let give you a list of six things God hates. The seventh one is beyond all of the other six. Listen to the list. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and number seven, one who spreads strife among his brothers. You think God hates strife? God despises dissension, division. And what is it that causes division and dissension in churches? Issues. You're not doing it my way. This is my deal. You're offending me because I have an agenda here that is not being followed through on. You're not doing what I want to see done. There's so many things that God hates that we get wrapped around the axle about and they have nothing to do with Jesus either presently or or eternally. Church buildings are often the seedbed of issues. People get so tied up in church buildings, kitchens. How many arguments in churches have had to do with kitchens or carpets or classrooms or committees? which thankfully we have none of right now. Gang, we begin as nothing without Jesus. Only to get hung up on things that have nothing to do with Jesus. Issues. What are my issues? Jesus always keeps things into focus. Always brings it back to the main thing, which is Him. It's Jesus Himself. He is the focus. And if our focus is on Jesus, I'll probably say this two or three times this morning, if Jesus is the issue, all my other issues don't matter so much anymore. Oh, we're not going to do it that way? Okay, I still got Jesus. He's the issue. He is the main thing. I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We'll spend the rest of our time there. I want you to see how Jesus deals with a woman... Who had an issue? She had a problem. Jesus' way, his answer of dealing with issues. And those of you who went through this with me on Wednesday night, there are a few differences here. I went back and rethought through this. Starting in verse 25 of Mark, chapter 5. Before we read, some of you may be thinking, uh oh, so is there a problem going on at the bridge? Is there an issue? Is Rick trying to shut something down? No? (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) 
Mark chapter 5, verse 25, a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse. After hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. Verse 28 says, For she thought, If I just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Twelve years. It's nicely translated, she had a hemorrhage. She was bleeding, folks, for twelve years. Unstoppably. She had spent everything she had. She had seen all of the physicians, all the the crack guys. I I don't know if someone offered goose guts to her, but she saw everybody. And she was in worse shape than she had ever been. And the Bible tells us, verse 27, that after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. I want you to take a few notes here if you're you're doing this. Jot down, number one, that Jesus, Jesus, this is how Jesus deals with issues. Number one, he felt the fringe. Jesus felt the fringe. Now, Mark says that she came up behind him and touched his cloak, his literally outer garment. Matthew, Matthew's a little more specific than that. Matthew chapter 9, verse 20 says a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. Not just the hem, not just the cloak, but the fringe. What's the difference? Numbers chapter 15, verse 37 through 41, and you can look this up on your own. It tells us, it explains it. On the cloak, the outer garment of a Jewish man, typically there were four blue tassels. These blue tassels were called the fringe. The fringe hung down, and it was this tassel, this blue tassel, that the woman caught hold of. What's the blue tassel mean? Well, Numbers 15 tells us the blue tassel is there to remind the men to keep God's commandments because he was their deliverer. She grabbed on to the symbol of the deliverer. For deliverance. Jesus felt the fringe because he is the deliverer. She grabbed on to the deliverer's fringe. She spent 12 years trying to work it out by herself and it didn't work. Nothing she tried worked, so she had to grab on to the deliverer. 12 years of running to physicians and specialists. 12 years of going round and round, which is exactly what our issues do to us. We go to one person and then to another and then to another and another and it never gets solved. In fact, it always gets worse when I'm really focused on my issue. My deal, my thing, my agenda. No one's listening to me. You got an issue this morning? Jesus delivers. Jesus delivers. He says in Matthew 11.30, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I have such a burden for high school ministry. And this church just doesn't seem to care. On the contrary, this church cares greatly, but high school ministry is not the only thing happening in this church. Everybody should be focused on the kids. Well, the parents and people who do the children, yeah, need to be focused on the kids. We all need to love our kids. That's not the primary reason we're here. We are not a preschool. Issues. What's my issue? Jesus says, things get so heavy when you're trying to do things your way. But my burden is light. My yoke, it's easy. Walk with me. Be with me. You got an issue that's just burning you out? Let it go, man. Jesus delivers. Mark chapter 5, verse 30 tells us that immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? 
Now, think about this. This is an embarrassing situation for this woman. To even get into the crowd, make her way up to Jesus, grab hold of that tassel. She's thinking, I just got to touch the hem. Just barely get a little bit of the garment and then I'm out of here. <laughs> no one even needs to know that I was here. The apostles didn't know. There were people all over the place grabbing on to Jesus, moving around him. But guys, number two, Jesus never lets things fester. He never lets things fester. Luke 8, verse 45, the same story reads this way. While they were all denying it, Jesus asking, who touched me? Everyone's like, I didn't touch you, I didn't touch you. Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. But Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that power had gone out from me, which I think is pretty cool. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him. How embarrassing. And how she had been immediately healed. Good news, but still, I've been bleeding for 12 years. I've been unclean. And the people are going, well, that's great. How embarrassing. Jesus, why'd you do that? He could have let her quietly just slink away. He knew the power had gone out. He knew that she was immediately healed. Why embarrass her like this? Why make a big scene? Hang on, hang on, wait a minute. What was that? Who was that? Stop right there. You think Jesus didn't know that that woman had touched him? Of course he did. Of course he did. So what's he doing? He is not going to let it fester. He deals with it openly. Wednesday night as we studied Leviticus 15, man, it was uncomfortable. (laughs) But we dealt with it openly. This is what the Bible says. Just read through. And there are a lot of times where God wants to deal with things openly and we are squirming. We're uncomfortable and Jesus doesn't want to let it fester in your life. He wants it dealt with. He deals with it publicly for the sake of this woman. For her sake. For her sake. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 tells us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. She needed it to be brought to life. But it wasn't just for the woman. It was also for the crowd that was around her. They needed it to be brought to light. They needed to see that this woman was clean. That this woman was no longer dirty. That this woman now had been accepted, healed by Jesus. He does this for their sake. You don't think the word had gotten out in 12 years about this woman? That people didn't know what her deal was? You wonder, what did it do to her her friendships? To her relationships? Still bleeding, huh? Give me a call. (laughs) Not a good situation for her. And the crowd needed to see it. Reputation gain can be an ugly thing. But when Jesus deals with it, it's history. Think about this. If your sins are confessed and they're out there and everybody knows about it, it's all there, here's what I've done, and God forgives you, and the body accepts you, and grace is bestowed, after that, nobody can bring up one of those sins again and have it affect you. I already did that. You knew that. You knew about the lies. You know about that business dealing that I handled completely wrong. You all know about that. That's old hat. That's old news. I was forgiven. Let's move on. When things are brought to light, when it's dealt with, dealt with, it is history. It's gone. Let it go. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And in confessing our sins, we get it out and it's nothing to be ashamed of anymore because Jesus has forgiven it. And I guarantee you there's probably someone sitting right next to you who's done worse anyway. 
Get it out in the open. Jesus has not let it fester. Mark Hall, uh, lead singer of Casting Crowns, <laughs> he was talking about how churches deal with things in his church growing up. And he made the comment, he said, you know, in my church growing up, we were the sickest church anywhere. And I know that because of all the prayer requests, they were all about physical ailments. We'd sit there for half an hour every Sunday morning, now I've got a gallbladder thing going on, I've got a bad couple, my sister's got cancer, there was all the sickness. And he said, but the problem, the, the thing was, they were incredibly spiritually healthy. Because no one ever prayed about a failing marriage. No one ever asked for prayers about spiritual problems. No one ever stood up and said, I'm a slanderous gossip and I need forgiveness. No, it was all the physical stuff. Well, the physical stuff's easy to deal with in our prayer. Confessing what's really going on, it's a little harder because we're afraid, we're afraid people are going to look at us a little differently. Oh yeah, that's the guy who did the... Yeah, yeah. What about confession? What about forgiveness? What about repentance in the church? A willingness... Is there anyone who actually here... Let me just, I'd like to show hands on this. Is there anyone here this morning who actually thinks they just might be good enough to go to heaven right now? Okay, you two? See me afterwards. I got some, I got some verses for you. What, what is the deal that we are so afraid to, re, to repent and confess what we've done, to bring it to the Father, to bring it to light? Oh no, someone's going to know that I had a drug problem. Big deal. Much better to have had a drug problem than to have one because you can't confess it and get it out and let Jesus deal with it. What are we afraid of? Grace says it doesn't matter anymore. And it's so great to know that. That whatever my stuff, whatever my most secret, private, hidden stuff, God deals with it and it's gone. We're the ones who hang on to it. But Jesus says, man, I don't want it to fester anymore. Look at what else Jesus does. Verse 34 on down. He says to her one word daughter daughter Jesus steals the friend he's the deliverer he he doesn't let it fester he also reminds her that she's family you're family he doesn't say woman you're forgiven get out of my face daughter daughter this woman's issue had kept her unclean and untouchable for 12 years and Jesus gives her affection he gives her a word that she needed to hear. How many of us just need to hear that word? Ladies, how many of you need to hear daughter from your father? What better word to hear? Guys, how many of you can't wait to hear someday son from the mouth of God to actually have Jesus speak that precious fatherly word to you? Daughters, sons. Father loves his daughters and sons. And Galatians chapter 4 verse 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We had lunch this last week with um, Gail and Marty Brink, and it was a Middle Eastern lunch, and it was very tasty. In fact, I can still taste some of it. But <laughs> we were talking about their time in the Middle East, and Marty made a comment, and I thought it was precious. She said, it was amazing, you remember, this? it was amazing the first time I heard a little child run in and say, Abba, to his dad in the Middle East. She said, it all became so real. All of a sudden, it's just, yeah, Abba, Abba. This is the word that a Middle Eastern child will use for daddy, Abba. And Paul says, because you are sons, God sent forth the Spirit of the Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. You can call the God of the universe Abba, because He calls you, ladies, daughter. He calls you, gentlemen, sons. 
maybe instead of discounting family or kicking someone out of the household of faith, I would do well to remember that the person with whom I take issue is a son, a daughter of the Lord. And I can learn to extend a little more family grace. The last part of that verse, Jesus does something else fantastic. Daughter, he says, your faith, your faith, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Number four, Jesus returned her to her faith. Live in your faith. Forget the issue. It's gone. It's done. Let's go forward in faith. Faith in Jesus is the issue. Faith in Jesus is the issue. All the other things pale in comparison. All the other things have a tendency, even the good things, have a tendency to detour me from Him. Jesus is the issue. He returns us to faith. I just love the way it says this in in verse 29, that immediately the flow of her blood was dried up. Jesus just stopped the flow. And that's what He does with issues. We'll pay attention to Him. Jesus stops the flow. He stops the flow. Issues are not for the church. This is not a place where you're supposed to bring your, your agendas and say, this is what I'm going to do here. It's about what's important to me. Now Jesus stops the flow. And some of us need to do that this morning. Some of us need to, in here this morning, confess to someone else here this morning that they've had issue with them. When you know who you are, I don't know, I'm not saying this by knowledge I'm assuming ah, no I know I know there are people here who have had issues with other people here and, and you know because they always sit on the opposite sides of the church <laughs> so it's fine <laughs> there are people who need to repent to the Lord Jesus for stirring things up in the family there are people who need to repent of their issue however good or precious it may be because it's in the way Now this was so important to me to talk about this morning because I want you to understand early on how things are going to be dealt with at the bridge. If an issue comes up that is in any way, shape, or form divisive or causing problems, the answer will be, take it to Jesus. We're not going to work this out here. We're not going to hurt people. We're going to stop the flow. We're not going to let issues run the church. The church is here for the Lord. It's interesting to me that this woman had 12 years of bleeding and the very next thing that Jesus does in the passage is he goes and heals a 12-year-old girl. What's the big deal about that? Coincidence, right? Maybe. But the number 12 in the Bible is also the number for government. 12 apostles, 12 tribes, 12 sons of Israel, 12 tribes each had 12 leaders. And the way we're going to govern here, the way we'll deal with things is Jesus' way. It's supposed to be about Him and not about our issues. We will not be driven by agendas. If you come into the bridge and you've got an agenda, you're not going to find a place for it. Because the agenda is Jesus Christ. The agenda is the working of His Holy Spirit and studying His Word. And that's it, man. And if we ever do get a church building, we're not getting a kitchen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you so much. And we thank you, Lord, for being the issue. And Father, we are just like our children. We're selfish. We think about only that which is going on right now in our in our lives. We cry out, we whine, we complain. 
But they are our children and we love them. And Lord, I, I just know that you look down on us even when we're doing that whining. And you smile and you say, Sons and daughters, knock it off. You just love each other. Father, may this be a place where people just love each other. Where nobody assumes that they're better than anybody else or that their stuff is more important. That we'll place the highest premium, Father, on Your Holy Spirit doing what You want to do and on Your Word leading us where You want us to go. And I pray constantly, Father, that all this other stuff would just fall away. And that we would, realizing that our issues are going to be stopped before they get started, would just not even, not even care about them. But would focus ourselves on you. And Jesus, this morning, I know there are people with issues that are sitting here. Well, we all have little ones, but Father, I know there are some who need to go to others and apologize. I know there's forgiveness that needs to take place and confession one brother to another one sister to another give us the courage the boldness to approach each other with love and if necessary to apologize and repent and Father keep bringing things to light here so we wouldn't have anything to worry about or fret over out of our past knowing that we as sons and daughters are healed. If you want Jesus this morning, if you've never accepted Him as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to pray this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner and I need You to remove from me all the issues that have messed up my life. I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I I believe that You died on the cross for my sins that you rose again from the dead and that you are going to call me home one day. I I want you to be my Lord, my Savior. Forgive me. Love me and teach me to love others in Jesus' name.